Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Our scripture is from Luke 2, a wonderful, familiar story. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among all those who when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. The word of the Lord. May this good news of grace and peace go deeply into each of our hearts, Lord Jesus. So it's not something we just hear about, but something that changes us and opens us up to, to you. We pray because you have come to us and are with us, Lord Jesus. This summer, during my sabbatical, heard the story, and I tried to go back and, and find it, and was unable to heard the story from another pastor of a woman whose son was brutally murdered by a sociopath, and just the, the killer literally just kind of exulted over the dead body of her son, which became apparent in the trial. But this woman was a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and as you might expect where this is going, she, after the trial, made an effort to let the murderer know that she indeed forgave him. And 
being just how he's wired as a sociopath, which he just kind of laughed it off and made his way into prison. But this woman persisted. And as I remember the story, and again, I wish I could have gone back and verified the details, but as I remember the story, some time passed, but she followed up, and then some time, maybe years passed, and she followed up, and then there was no reply. But she heard from a social worker in the prison that her letters, again, they weren't super frequent. It was just every so often, and Scott put it on her heart to once again just communicate that her letters were having an effect, that he was less of a problem with the other prisoners. He was instigating fewer conflicts in the prison and let this woman know that she was having an effect. And so she actually made arrangements to, to meet this, and he still just blew her off. But again, as I remember the story, a few years more went by, and she followed up once more, and this time there was change. So openness. And even in hearing the story, right, the, the whole idea of this woman taking, persisting, not just once, but persisting, again, not every week or every month even, but persisting, there's something about that kind of grace and forgiveness that, at least for me, I enjoy hearing it, but in, on one level, almost a little offensive, right? Like, he blew her up. Not only did he brutally murder her son, but he blew her up repeatedly. And yet, this is the grace of God for us. Yes? That we push God away repeatedly. We, collectively, humanity, actually, in fact, murdered God's son. Yet God comes to us repeatedly, initiating with us, offering grace and reconciliation, offering peace, which, as we just heard, is a rich, rich panoply, rich, rich, rich experience of fullness. God's grace is, in fact, offensive to us. Because we just, most of us, most of the time, don't offer that kind of grace. And God's gracious welcome also offends us. The kind of people that God includes in his family offends us. Right? God's almost like, again, not to push metaphors too far, but God's like the the kid who's constantly bringing stray cats home because, well, this one's super cute, right? We don't want, all of us, most of us, most of the time, the kind of other people and situations that God invites in. God's grace for offense is offensive to us, and God's gracious welcome is just, there are times it's just too much for us. Even in the story of God's people, God initiated with Two moon worshippers in this city of Ur, Abram and Sarah, and invited them in to actually become the ancestors of God's people, both physically and spiritually. God initiated in grace welcome with 
bunch of enslaved, just you know, from the Egyptian perspective, dirty, low-life slaves, to reclaim them as his people and bring them in. And not just the physical descendants of Abram and Sarah, by the way, with God's people leaving Egypt was, in most translation, calls it a mixed multitude, which means anybody who wanted to join them to come off to the promised land was welcome. Other enslaved ethnicities, no doubt, and Egyptians as well. Welcomed in, if only they would say yes to God's gracious initiation. God is gracious. And the good news is in that is that we don't have to prove ourselves at all. We're super into proving ourselves, though, by the way, right, Matt? We're super into trying to prove ourselves. I can speak for myself, uh, but Liz will affirm this is true, that if I mess up, my first instinct is absolutely like, but it wasn't that bad. Here's the reasons why I did it. My intention was good. Like, that's where my heart goes, right? I want to prove myself. It wasn't that bad. Rather than simply receiving grace, that, yeah, it was bad, and maybe the other person will forgive me. I want to justify myself. I want to I want to make it right rather than simply receiving from the other person. See, in the economy of God, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his grace that brings us in. It's his shalom offered freely that makes us whole. Not our ability to pull it somehow together and meet him halfway. That's just not how it works. It's God's grace first, last, and all the way through. His free gift of forgiveness and his free gracious embrace to include us. Birth announcements, both in history and nowadays, normally go to family and friends, right? I mean, come on. Even Christmas cards, there's sort of the limit to how many of them we're going to send out, yeah? And normally, we send out our Christmas cards to people who reciprocate on some level. If someone doesn't send a card for three, four, five, seven, whatever the years, eventually you think, do I need to send to this person this year? I mean, come on, I'm not, we're not the only ones who think that way, right? We normally operate on this level of reciprocation. We just habitually, just who we are as human beings, we, and, and that's fine as far as it goes. But that's not, praise God, how God works. And when he was born, the birth announcement is not just to family and friends. Although, no doubt, you know, Joseph's going back to Bethlehem. This is his ancestral home. No doubt there are relatives. Yes, they're staying where the animals are staying, but it's highly likely it was somebody he was connected to that made a spot for them, however poor and humble. 
But look who God brings in, even in this Christmas story. It's a bunch of scruffy shepherds. And I've heard other pastors and commentators, and there's, there's some reason for this, make, I think, a little too much of the, the dirtiness and the, the outsideness of the shepherd role. It's hard to imagine that in a sacrificial system where, A, you know, sheep are clean animals and they're used regularly for sacrifice, that the role of shepherd was ceremonially unclean. There's actually not a lot of evidence of that. But um, sheep are dirty, filthy, disgusting animals. They smell bad, they've got lice. I mean, just, it's, it's not that great of a job. And in fact, the people who are taking care of sheep, like most of the people who are fixing cars or most of the people who are bagging your groceries, are not the owners of the establishment, yeah? Most of the people doing the, the basic work that makes society go, most of the people are working with other people's stuff. Well, the same thing is true with livestock. Most of the shepherds are taking care of someone else's sheep, which means they don't have enough land, they don't have enough income, they're dependent on doing stuff for other people to you know, put food on the table. These are the low end of society. It is a dirty job. And they are, when the angels show up to the shepherds physically outside of Bethlehem, you hear this that? They say, oh, well, we've got to go into Bethlehem to... They're both literally and physically and socially outsiders. And this is who, at the very beginning, Luke wants us to see really directly these are the kinds of people that God reaches out to and welcomes in. And yet, how quickly we get to the point where we want to define who's inside and who's outside and make sure that line is super clear, yeah? Both in terms of who gets invited to Christmas dinner, or Thanksgiving just passed. Or who gets a Christmas card? Because this is the time where we're, you know, okay, a couple of you were on the ball and we've already gotten yours. We're just now getting ours out. Like, but we think about that. The good news of Christmas is Jesus invites us in, and we don't need to prove ourselves. We can't. We simply can't. What I've done in my life, and let's be honest, what I've done this week, and you too, by the way, cannot be justified by anything except the grace of Jesus. Our impatience, our furring away at time on unimportant things, or refusing to receive God's gracious gift of just resting and not needing to be productive. 18 hours a day. Both are failure to work at times and failure to rest at times. God is gracious and forgives and welcomes us in. And we don't need to prove ourselves. Luke tells us another story that Jesus told of a very wealthy man with two sons. One of which, and, and many of you will recognize this story, 
for some that may be brand new this morning. But the younger son goes to the father and demands the inheritance right now, as if the father had already done it, right? I'm going to get mine, and as the younger son, he would have received one-third of the, the household. And the father, rather than you know, shooting the son, or at least just disinheriting him, hands him the money, and he goes off. And again, those of you who know the story know that he, 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 blows, he blows it all while Riot is living. Just, there's not a, a penny of it that gets used well, right? It's all for fun. The older son stays, works hard. Well, at the end of the story, the younger son, who's blown it all, comes back home, ex- hoping, hoping. I mean, grace would be, can you just let me be a servant? And you can enslave me. That's all I, I just want to eat. I know that, and this, the father welcomes the son back throws a party, puts the best robe, kills the best cat, puts the family ring back on his finger. He's fully included. In fact, the son can't even get his little speech. Again, like me, trying to justify, well, it wasn't so bad. I didn't do it. The father cuts the speech off, embraces him, welcomes him back in. And those of you who know the story, there's an older son who stayed there, who worked hard, who actually doesn't want to go into the party because he's like, you welcomed him back in, this other third of inheritance is gone from me. I worked hard all day. Right? The angry, embittered older son, you can only see that he's losing out by the younger son coming back in. See, this is the message of Christmas. The message of the angels to the shepherds. Glory to God. God is great. He's sovereign. We can trust. There's nothing we need to be afraid of. Shalom on earth to all whom God favors. Healing and restoration. Not because we deserve it, because God simply gives graciously and freely to all of us, not a single one of us who deserve it simply because God made us and wants us back home with him and restored with each other. That's it. That's it. And if we're living in a community of people who are following Jesus, as all of us take step by step by step to to begin to receive that grace, it then frees us to give grace to others the way we've received. To not need to prove ourselves frees us up to not need others to prove themselves to us. To be welcomed in means we begin to welcome others into our lives. I've shared not a single one of us does it perfectly, but that's the point. Because we're welcomed in, so we can welcome give and grace and be, be gracious. There's a quote from an old pastor some 300 years ago, William Romaine, that we think get to the point of feeling like it's somehow on us, right? That what, what really reunites us with, with God somehow is us 
not having done that thing for a few days, right? Or having to sort of sweat it out in prayer for maybe a week or two, or done this thing that will somehow make up for, no, 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 no. What frees us from having to prove ourselves is simply recognizing we don't have to prove ourselves. From the words of William Romain, British pastor from about 300 years ago, no sin can be crucified either in heart or life unless it first be hardened in our consciences. If the sin be not killed off in its guilt, it cannot be subdued in its power over us. I mean, again, that friends, our life begins with God's grace, not on our ability to somehow do what He invites us to do. Our life, our wholeness, our shalom is rebuilt in simply receiving the good news of grace, letting Him put what we've done on the cross. It's all on Jesus, not on us. See, most of us can live our lives, if, we're, if we follow Jesus for any amount of time, most of us can say with our mouth at least that if the you know, final judgment, what reunites me with God, right? what reunites us with God is Jesus' grace for us on the cross. He, the sin, our sin is on him, that we're justified in, in the final accounting. But the good news we're invited into is to live into our justification, not just out in our future, but our justification today. Today, we are made right by Jesus, not by our ability to get to him. Tomorrow, we are made right by Jesus not on our ability to keep it together. Friends, let this be the good news of Christmas for you and the supper we're about to share on the end as well. That Jesus, in sheer grace, makes us right with him and makes us whole.